From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. We really appreciate you having you here. Coming up in just a minute is one of my favorite conversations that happened at uh, this year's Screen by Screen online music and tech conference. It features uh, Indie Week founder Daryl Hers talking with Rain Maida. Um, if you're not familiar with Rain Maida, maybe you're familiar with his band, Our Lady Peace. Um, one of the really classic Canadian rock bands of the last, what is it, 20, I guess 30 almost years now. If you are Canadian and you listen to the rock radio in Canada, you're guaranteed to know who Our Lady Peace is. I actually remember seeing them um, in Ham- playing Hamilton sometime a little before the pandemic started. You know, I had their classic debut, Navid, uh, their other uh, album, Clumsy, which you couldn't escape back when it came out when I was like in grade six or something like that. And uh, so, you know, I knew the early hits and the other songs that uh, regularly get played on radio here in Canada. And uh, so anyways, went to check them out in Hamilton. They played for about an hour and a half. It was like a double headliner bill with Matthew Good. And I have to say, the entire show, one song after another for an hour and a half was just one hit after another. So ever since then, I've really sang the praises of Our Lady Peace and just how immensely successful they've been here. And I was glad to see them get their props recently when um, the greatest tennis player of all time, Serena Williams, I think it was in Paste, actually gave a shout out to Our Lady Peace as one of her favorite bands and rightfully mentioned that, you know, she had seen them live recently and they still sound and Rain Maida's voice still sounds exactly like it does on the classic albums. But aside from just being a classic rock singer, what's maybe less known is that he's been a real pioneer in the area of web3 technology and using it to better the careers and lives of independent artists especially indie musicians and that's why we had him at screen by screen his latest groundbreaking project is called drops and that's a two hours it's a pretty innovative app that allows music fans like concert goers to interact directly with artists and collect um, one of a kind uh, digital collectibles Drops follows early success that uh, Rain had in the music tech Web3 sphere with the NFT platform Sing. So anyway, Rain is a deep thinker and a really interesting dude to, to hear talk about um, Web3 and how it can apply to the music industry, especially for the betterment of indie artists. So like I said, I really loved this conversation at uh, the most recent Screen by Screen uh, Music and Tech Conference. So I hope you enjoy it as well. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, with Rain made of Our Lady Peace. And uh, Rain, uh, just real quick, I remember I actually saw you at 
the People's Pub White Avenue on I think the first Our Lady Peace tour, and um, uh, have been a pub. I've been a sorry. People's Pub. Why, my gosh. Yes, uh, and and I gotta say that I had really good conversations with Mike Turner, and uh, just sort of following your career during that time and what was happening influenced my decision to move to Toronto where oh, wow. most, of the, most of the music industry is. Um, and uh, I wanted to sort of start this conversation a little bit. Um, one, uh, Rain is a lead singer of Our Lady Peace for some of the international people that may not know. Uh, platinum artist has toured the world. Uh, one was a tour with Van Halen. Uh, many accomplishments and so we're very honored to have him here uh, but Rain has also been very involved with the tech side of things I'm going to let him talk about that but I wanted a precursor with a little personal story on music industry and tech because it seems to always be a bit of a headache uh, so 2004 I was shopping artists in Germany at Popcom Popcom at the time was like the big industry trade fair and uh, one thing to note, on the back, you'll see there's a Voth logo. Um, I hated the name. I was working with a developer, and it was called Voices of the Hero. And we had a music player on our CD that streamed music, which was unheard of at the time. And it was a new development. The meaning was music was not being stolen. It was not a file download. It was streamed, so it was protecting music. Also, we could beam new music anytime to the CD. Music industry's response, no one's going to listen to music on a computer. So denial. And then as well, at that same conference, I had an MP3 player. You can see it's all busted up now. And I'm pitching music. And they were like, what, what's this thing? And I'm talking to Sony. I'm talking to Universal and other labels. And I was like, you don't know what an MP3 player is? And I was like trying to pitch music to them and they got more interested in what this device was than what they were listening at the time. So it became hard to pitch music. But I always feel there's this thing in the music industry that is kind of slow to the game and it's slow adoption. And, and a lot of times it's like, we don't trust this and such. Uh, but that's my experience in the early days of streaming and, and getting music through a digital sense. So I wanted to sort of frame that is where I think the music industry, sometimes it's really hard to get everybody in, on board. Um, Rain, uh, I would like to hear sort of how did you get involved on the tech side of things? What, what was your interest at the early days of getting into the tech side? Yeah, well, you know, I go back far enough to where our first, you know, the only album, but our, our first one to view was recorded on tape. And so what I mean is like digital two inch tape before Pro Tools or Logic or, um, you know, any of the, the digital platform recording platforms. And I lived through the next version iteration of like or the first iteration of devil, uh, digital uh, was called a radar system. So you could kind of edit, but you could literally record everything now and you weren't spending a lot of money on tape. And um, it, it was it was a little antiquated in terms of what you could do with it, but it was cool. It was digital. Then obviously, you know, Pro Tools comes around and now we can really um, just kind of record in a hotel, record backstage. All of a sudden you just had this really fluid um, tool that 
I think, you know, essentially democratize the music space. You can make a record now for, for pretty cheap digitally, right? You didn't need to go into a studio, essentially. Um, and I loved all that. And I took full advantage of, of that. I had digital recorders on the road when we were touring um, down here in the U.S. I, I just, any extended amount of time that I knew I was going to be away from a studio, I could bring a portable studio. And because it was digital, I could probably use that stuff, you know, um, on records. What happened probably, you know, early 2000s was Napster, basically. And it was funny because we were in Hawaii, um, in Maui, recording with Bob Rock. And the Napster thing really caught a lot of attention with one of, you know, Bob produced a black album with Metallica. And so kind of through the walls and Bob, you know, we, we, we would talk about like Metallica's reaction to it because Lars really got up in a pulpit and was like, hey, this is stealing. Um, so we're not getting into the political side of it, but I felt like, okay, there's another shift happening in the music business where maybe people aren't going to pay for music the same way they did with every new technology. Um, I think there's a downside. Uh, and so this was starting to be the downside where I think artists saw, Oh, wow. So that, that stream of revenue maybe goes away. And so does that make it more difficult to survive? Blah, blah, blah. Those questions start being asked record companies, like you said, start kind of, dipping their toes in it, but we're really late on it. And so it, it had a negative impact for, for a bunch of years on, on music. Um, but you fast forward to today and, it, and it's really about just trying to find solutions and technology affords, you know, um, even guys like me to be able to kind of enter the space and, and really try to find ways to empower, um, you know, I don't deal just in the music business, but a lot of my stuff is targeted toward, um, creators, but just give give them um, some power back because it's we've been. I, I liken it to being somewhat hoodwinked in the terms of, you know, again going back to like MySpace. Like we were told, let's build a community in MySpace. Amazing! It was it was pretty cool for a while. Like all of a sudden, there was a central place our fans could go on. We could have people from St. Louis tell us, "Hey, there's 89 people in St. Louis that want us to come play there." Okay, we're going to put that on our list. We should go play there. Um, you know. 400 people in Houston want us to come there and you could connect with these people. You could deliver stuff to them. Obviously digitally it was, it was cool. Um, but then they go into business. So we spent all that time and energy on that. Then it was Facebook. Facebook's not cool anymore. Then it's Instagram. Those algorithms get really weird. Twitter's a mess. TikTok could be shut down tomorrow. So the idea of putting our faith in communities that we don't own does not work for me anymore. I am over it. I'm done with it. It's all about um, building direct to fan communities for me. And I built a, a platform uh, with a co-founder of mine from Toronto uh, and it's called drops XYZ. XYZ. And, it, and it's about building that direct connection specifically uh, and what you do with it, what you gift reward or sell your fans is all up to the artist after that. But the tough thing today is is to actually just build that direct. It, I look, I liken it to like we, you know, we played, um, yeah, we played Cleveland last night. You know, sold out show to House of Blues, amazing energy. All these fans, it feels like this great friendship you build and this this connection. Then the last chords hit. We walk off stage. They turn around, basically anonymous, and walk out the door. And so. Um, you know, my, my platform, the drops XYZ platform is really about making sure they don't leave without having that relationship. You know, I, I totally agree with that. 
um, there's always been gatekeepers and, and, you know, that's what record labels were, uh, yeah. between artists and fans. Uh, it, and it's like, you know, MySpace, those days were actually really cool. Like there was discovery of music. There was sharing uh, of fans, um, suggestions of music, uh, that are like-minded, like style, like genre. And, uh, that went away, like you said. And, um, I actually still teach, like I, I've been involved with web since about 97, uh, doing websites and such. And I was one of those guys that was blinging out MySpace and hacking it. Uh, and that went, that business went away. Uh, so even, even on business side of things, uh, you know, a lot of stuff changes. Uh, I teach one day a week still how to build websites using WordPress mm. for, for artists. And it's interesting how many artists go, why do I need a website? And I literally say, because you own it and you can build your fan base there and keep it uh, and build a newsletter uh, mailing base. Like there, there's still these sort of technologies that have been around for years, but I find a lot of times people are so caught up. Like you said, we went from MySpace to Facebook and I think everybody goes, what's new, what's next? And, and they don't really get established before they jump to the next thing. And they, they keep jumping and they keep looking for what I call the easy route. And there's not really an easy route, I, I think. Um, but using a, a platform like yours, uh, it is sort of like, maybe do a real good description of the platform for our audience that might not know what Drops is. Yeah, so we, we take a Web3 attitude. Um, you know, I, I, I am a big believer in Web3. I think it's been kind of hijacked by words like NFTs and, and those communities that started up, you know, last year and, and kind of, you know, I, I, I'm the first one to admit they, were, they, they weren't great. They were, they were kind of taking money from, from people and, and promising these things that just wouldn't deliver. And it became very speculative, people trying to flip stuff and make money. Music and creators are not about that. So the idea of portability is really important to me. And, and Web3 does offer that. And so when, when I talk about the Drops XYZ platform, portability is really like the first pillar in terms of we set up a campaign for an artist. So it, it, just to start from the beginning, I guess, what we, what we try to do is leverage um, the live moment. So, you know, using the House of Blues in Cleveland last night as, as an example, you have what, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 people packed in that club. I don't, I want to know those people. And I know that they paid for a ticket. So in my mind, at this point in my career, they're super fans. They don't maybe feel like it, but that is my goal. And that's what Drops XYZ's goal is to make them feel like super fans. So we try to do this in a super simple matter. We've been beta testing this uh, at shows and festivals um, down here in the U.S. and Canada for almost 18 months, just really trying to make sure that the, the, the value of the artist is simple. And, and what we've done is um, we have a, a native app, but we also have a web view that talk to each other. And, and basically, we just want to make it as simple as possible. So what we did last night um, for my band, for LP, we gave away a B-side from uh, a record we put out last year called Spiritual Machines 2. So this is a track that will not end up on Spotify, is an exclusive kind of almost limited edition uh, download. But you do it by just everyone could just scan a QR code when you come in. There's posters and stuff even on stage. And, and all you do is scan that code and you get in and you become part of our community. And so if it's for another band, um, that data and that first party email opt in 
is really key, but it's the bands. It's no one else's. It's not the House of Blues. It's not Live Nation. It's not Ticketmaster. It's not even really Drops. That is your fan base, your community. You take all those all those people with you that that just grab that download. And now you can sell them other things. Like we offer this really cool, it's kind of like an NFT, like a, a, a moving, we took our album cover for Spiritual Machines and it's this moving image in a Lucite frame. It's 200 bucks. We partnered with um, Infinite Objects out of LA, which it's a really cool, like put it on your desk or in your studio. It's that kind of thing. You can buy that as well. Uh, you can buy exclusive merch. Um, you could win a VIP. There, there's so many things you can do once you're in the Drops XYZ platform for the artists. But the cool thing is, is that they're your people now. And and next time we go on tour, we're going to talk to them direct and they're going to know for sure. Because as I, I think the, the biggest barrier right now for artists, and I sh I'm sure I'll get this today, I'll, I'll open up Twitter or or Insta, and I'll get people saying, hey, I heard you guys are on tour. When are you coming to Cleveland? When are you coming to Boston? And it's like, I was just there. How do you not know? But it's it's too noisy. And, the you know, I, we're all kind of slaves to these algorithms. And that just doesn't work. So getting direct to your fans, we are literally building up thousands of, of you know, fan communities for artists. And, you know, I think I look at it like a year, two years from now um, with the Drops XYZ platform, artists are just going to have a different control of their fan bases. And feel much more confident going into places to sell tickets and and what you offer artists and there's a trust factor there it's not they're not being spammed you know it's it's this is this is like the ultimate fandom you know it's it's interesting because uh you're talking about the algorithms and uh prior to covid i remember like i'm in toronto mod club is fairly decent sized club and it's always touring artists it's, it was always sold out with artists. I'm like, I have no clue who these people are. I've never heard of them. The issue is I'm not their demographic. So I'm not fed the targeted ads. I'm not suggested to hear these. So discovery of music and new artists has changed dramatically because we're relying on tech and these algorithms. It's really suggesting the same type of artist I listen to where I used to go to a record store and I, I literally always went, I saved 10% of my wage and I would always buy something. I had no clue what it was. And I was always discovering great new music. Nowadays, we don't have that type of discovery anymore. And we're suggested things. And when we go to Facebook, we're suggested a feed of what other people have shared links. And they're often also people that we know. So it's very similar. So it's interesting to note that this allows again, that direct connection to the fan. And we, we had chart metric on the other day where they showed their dashboard and data, which was great. But I really feel that this is a higher level. Like you said, anyone there's a super fan because they bought a ticket and they're present. And that is the most important fan you could have. Uh, so how do you, how do you look at the future in how to elevate that and, and how to potentially grow that audience from, from that core fan base that you've got connections with. Yeah. So my wife and I, uh, we have a project that, that we do together and we toured you know, up in Canada in December. And so we did the same thing. We were giving away um, a cover song that we did a uh, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley cover called other and lace. 
And I, and it's funny because I don't, I don't love the song, but I love my wife. So I, I did it with her. And, um, but I told people same thing live. I was like, I, now this for sure will never up on this, never going to end up on Spotify or Apple. Um, so, you know, scan the code, get it now. It's a gift. Um, we appreciate you kind of thing. And over the course of the last couple of months, we've been, you know, we sent a Christmas wish out. We gave them, we did a cover of Let Down by Radiohead. We gifted that. It just ends up in their, in their wallet, you know, under their collection in the drops app. And it's just, it's just, I, I think what artists will start to realize how easy it is. But at the at the top level, what we've tried to do with with Drops XYZ is really make it so it, it's not taking bandwidth from an artist or management. Because like you said, Daryl, it's like there's everyone's trying to figure it out. Like, you know, we're we're being told you need to be on TikTok and you know, you need to post more on Instagram. And artists just want to be artists, like they just want to play music and record music. And to be a marketer doesn't fit into like our our artist brain really some people some people get it and they love it but the majority of your time should be better, getting better at your craft you know and being becoming a better producer songwriter performer and so having to spend hours and hours creating content for socials that might not end up doing anything for you is I don't know. It, it, it's, it seems like a, a bit of a scam. So um, like I said, we're trying to make sure that drops X, Y, Z has, it takes no time. It makes it super simple. And at the end of the day, we're, that's why we chose live as like the place to really impact because we know those are your fans. So we're going to where your fans are to put a post just on Instagram. We know the conversion rates are terrible. They're like under 2%. So you're still going to do that, but, if you're if you're an artist playing, if you're touring, hit hit it's with it drops with two R's. Go to drops XYZ, sign up. We we're we're very happy to help. And it and it costs nothing to set up a campaign as well. But I look at it, I I really look at it as like, you know, shame on us if we let our fans walk out of our shows anonymous. Like that's at this point in time, it's on us as artists. We can't let that happen. And, and that's why we built Drops XYZ. Yeah. And, you know, what, what comes to mind, actually, it's almost like everything always is coming full circle in some way or another. But it reminds me of, well, one of my favorite bands, U2, has really built a lot of their career based on their fan club. Yeah. And they're yeah. always always you know reserving the first few rows uh for their fan club and and first tickets on sale to their fan club and, and such like this so it almost feels like here's the digital version of, of building a fan club um it know. is it, it, it is we we look at it as like the ultimate you know fandom because like you said i know those people last night like it was insane energy in there and i know they're all fans and i think we probably converted um, and I know that's like a technical term, but we brought, you know, four or 500 people in our community last night. So almost half the audience or whatever, 30, 40% of the audience I'm connected to, like I can send a note to right after I get off this and say, Hey, thanks for being in Cleveland. And it's specific to them too. It's like, you can really, I, I, I know, you know, and this is more for the artists. And I saw a comment from Ashley saying, you know, where do they sign up? Yeah. It's literally like, there's there's QR codes all over the venue. Just point your phone, you're in, you get whatever gift or reward the band's giving you. Um, but for me, I understand now, you know, after this tour, I'll be able to see, cause I know this, you know, we have fans that, you know, come to three or four shows. So now I can talk to those fans directly, maybe give them something special, send them something where it's like, Hey, 
I really want to elevate, like, you know, we know that, that you're like this super, super fan. So here's something special that only for you. And I think as an artist, I'm, I love doing that. Like, I, tell me to do that hundred percent. Tell me to go outside and shoot something that I can post on Instagram. My managers tell me to do that. I'm like, come on, man. I can't, I don't feel like doing that right now. I, I, you know, I look like shit. I, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to show someone what I ate for breakfast. You know, like I, that's not what I'm about. I want to show people music, live stuff. And I want to connect on like that artistic level. And, and I'm fine to do that. So we're again, like that's that's the reason that drops X, Y, Z. We're really it. We built it's artist built. I get it. I know. I know the strain of, of an artist on a day to day basis. And I'm trying to make this as simple as possible for people to just sign up and for artists to get in and, and start building that community that they own for the first time. I love that. And, you know, I have so many conversations with artists. I was just at Sim Sao Paulo in Brazil, uh, Folk Alliance in Kansas City. And another barrier I, I just find with the, the music industry and artists in general is like, oh, I haven't tried it yet. And I feel like just try. And I feel sometimes that's a bit of a barrier. I have conversations with artists and managers every day and they're like, this sounds great. I don't know if we're just, I don't know if we're ready for it yet. Or I don't know if we can fit this in. I'm like, I, I don't want to be rude, but in my head, I'm like, damn, like you can't afford not to do this as an artist. If, and it doesn't matter what size you're at. Like if you're playing in front of 50 people, go try to convert 25 of those into your drops fan club and community, because now you will get that. You take that with you. We don't own it. It's yours. So I honestly, I, I, I agree with you. It's like, it's funny how we're kind of slow, but I think that's the artist's mind. Like I, ultimately we just want to write songs and play songs. So if someone keeps telling us, Hey, you got to go try this. You're going to try this. It's like, yo, I've tried everything and none of it's working, but drops X, Y, Z actually works because they're your fans. It's super simple. And like I said, I honestly feel like you can't afford not to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. I've had these conversations so much over the last few weeks and, um, you know, here, here, a couple of things to, that also come to mind. Um, I'm going to share a quick story with uh, Terry McBride. Um, and, and for those who don't know Terry McBride, Network Records, uh, Avril Lavigne, Sum 41, Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, he was, I was working with a band and he gave them advice. And uh, this is one thing that I also think artists and creatives do as well, is they kind of, Pre, have preconceived notions. This is what I think it is. And therefore almost believe that's what it is without trying stuff out. Um, and in this particular case, uh, the artist was about to do their first national tour. They're like, what should we price our CDs at? And, you know, even that like, oh, is, I, I don't want to do too much. And, and often we undervalue ourselves right off the bat. He literally said, put no price tag on it. You'll sell to everybody who's interested. And it's much more important to have as many people walk away with your music. And what we found was people actually paid more money on average than what the artist wanted to price it at. So they were like, oh, we'll do 10 or $15, but many people paid $20. And so, and they were sold out by Edmonton. So I often think we also kind of put ourselves in our own box and, and we kind of give our own limitations where I think this is the time to be in 
just inspired to try stuff and you'll get creative on the results because they got excited about that. And they're like, well, what if we did a t-shirt and a CD package, pay what you can and stuff. And, and they sold a, a ton of merch. So uh, I think that that's a bit of the barriers is we put our own walls up uh, when we're thinking yeah. about things. I'm a big believer in, in the sense of like, if you build a community, like uh, I, I, I think by the, you know, the actual numbers for all people, the time where we finish this U.S. run, um, we'll have over 10,000 new fans in this, in our drops community from doing it from a tour we did in June and this tour. So that's a lot of fans. They're going to tell us what they want. Do you know what I mean? They're going to tell us that, hey, we, we really love that you guys are giving away these B-sides. Can we have more of that? Or we saw you guys were doing an exclusive hoodie. Can we get that just for the community? And so it becomes this self-perpetuating thing where, where, the, where that community will start to run it. And, you know, as much as, as you know, I don't want to talk about blockchain and, and, and NFTs, but when you talk about Web3, the idea of the community having a stake in their own community is absolutely key. And that's what we do is that this community now, because it's direct with the, with the artists, they have a they have a stake in it. There are no gatekeepers. You you can finally have that that conversation and and really kind of glean off the the fam club or the or the community in terms of what they want from you. That's perfect. I would much rather know. Hey, we're gonna go create this stuff or this content or dig up in our archives because that's what you guys want. It's a, it's that's that's the ultimate victory. And what. You know, when you talk about tech and if you're in the app world, people understand the, the idea of lifetime value, right? So that's what we try to do. Because when you, I thought maybe I was doing it on MySpace, but MySpace went away. There's no lifetime value. It's over. Those fans are gone. That's probably going to happen with Instagram. It, like we all know, TikTok, it gets shut down. So the only way to truly build lifetime value is that direct connect with, with your, with your own community and with, with your fans and not relying on a third-party platform is really the way to go. I'm not saying for an artist to ditch those things because you still need them in the market and they're they're still fine. But at the end of the day, you got to know who your audience is and you got to know where they're where they're where they're from and that they're at your shows and and build that lifetime value and trust with them. Yeah, and it actually brings up a point that I know was discussed a bit yesterday. Uh, you have to go where people are. That's just you like if it's TikTok, if it's Instagram, you, you do have to go where people are. But the key is getting them from where they are to where you want them to be. So, uh, you know, if you have a drops type account, get your people from Instagram, convert them over to where you own the data. Uh, can do you talk a little bit about some strategies that you think work in trying to convert people from one platform onto your own platform? Well, we, so we kind of, we look, I look at it as reverse engineering it. So, um, cause we, you know, part of our whole thesis is we're not a gatekeeper. We're not a middle layer. Drops XYZ is the tool. It's a utility to bring fans in, in a really simple way that doesn't take up bandwidth or budget from an artist or management team. And it's simple as having our QR codes, you get into the app, you get into the platform and you're there and you can sell, reward, gift, anything. But at the end of the day, so just to give you a sense, what I do now, where I used to, we used to do a show and I go on Insta and see what people are posting, what people are saying on Twitter or whatever. 
Now I go on my drops that like every artist gets their own dashboard. So last night I was on the OLP drops XYZ dashboard and I'm watching people sign up and grab the free B side. And so it's those numbers to me, like 300, 400, 500. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the difference is now you have that. So I know the struggle of a lot of bands. I know bands that are on Patreon. If you want to move those, that fan base that you just created on drops XYZ to Patreon, Try to do that. We can we can build a Patreon link, you know, along with that free song you gave away or a hoodie and we'll help push them to your Patreon. If that's where you're making your money, do that. If you think it's Instagram is the best thing for the band, push them to Instagram, because if you try to go just I, I think everyone sees like there's not a lot of growth on Instagram happening for anyone right now. So the algorithm's fucked. So this is a much better way. Like get those fans, like you said, where you know they are in the moment. And if you need to push them to Instagram, this might be a better way. If you want to push them to a Discord, push them to your Discord. If you want to push them to your Shopify store, we are the portal for all that. We're not trying to be um, uh, a barrier there. We're trying to make it simple where wherever you want that community to go, you can push them there through through Drops XYZ. Right. But what I was thinking is like if they're active on Instagram, what are ways to get them from Instagram to Drops, the opposite route? It's brutal. I'm, I'm going to be straight up, Daryl. Like it is brutal. Like it, you, the, the conversion rates on, on social platforms, what people see and click through are not great. So um, that's why we, we, we stick with, and, and we do it. Like we, my wife and I did a, a free release kind of open and we published it on Instagram. We promoted it on all socials and it did good, but it's nothing like when you have fans in a venue there to see you live they're active. Like they're going to do it. They want to be part of it. They're there for a reason. So I, I just, I, I think we we've kind of hit it on, on the head where it's like live venues are the, are the way to, to activate and let your fans know that you, you care and you're, and you're building something for them. Right. And I just wanted to show something. Uh, so I'm always doing tests on Instagram. Instagram's kind of like the platform I work on. Uh, yeah. So, so this is how, the platforms are really pushing people to do paid advertising. They're, they're pushing down engagement. Of course. So therefore the engagement, but you can see here. So I did a test, did not do ads on our Indie Week account, did ads on, on our screen by screen account, but on Indie Week on purpose did not, then did ads and then stopped. And you can see, whoops, where is it? There, you can see totally it's ads. That's it. Like you can see when we started the ad, when we stopped the ad, exactly. And it's like, sure enough, with ads, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But the second you stop doing the ads, it just plummets and drops. And it's hard to even like the people you engage with the ad to keep that activity up. They still also stop. So, so uh, organic is really dead. <laughs> It's dead. It's dead. And, and, you know, there, look, there, there is, there's use for all this stuff and it's fun, but if you're an artist, you have to start taking back control of your communities, taking back ownership, because I, 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 I say this, my, I have a son who's 19, just turned 19, has a record, super talented. I'm like, I'm worried, man. Like I, I get it in the sense of it is, you're seeing this middle class evaporate in, 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 in the creative world where it's just not going to be sustainable if we don't start owning our communities. And so um, 
I'm not saying drops X, Y, Z is the only thing, but I don't know a lot of other things out there that are doing what we're doing, where we we're trying to make it super, like, again, it was built from my, I'm on the road right now. I'm, I'm, I'm using it every night. I know where it doesn't work. And I'm, and literally on the phone with my, my co-founder, who's a, just a genius developer, you know, business guy, and we're changing it overnight. And it's like, we got to help this, this will help artists tomorrow. And so it's really about, you know, not relying on an algorithm because that, like you just showed, man. They just want you to stay on there and keep flipping through. Even Spotify, like, you know, it's great. I, I use I use Apple and Spotify, and I, and I love that I can listen to music whenever I want. But in terms of discovery, it's not even about that anymore. They just want to keep you on their app listening. Um, and it's 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 lost like it's lost my trust, but it's also lost the, a bit of the purpose. And the purpose for artists is to connect with their fans. And technology is great because now you can actually like talk to them and connect with them. And um, it's time to really go full bore on making those communities our own. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, you know, um, during the pandemic and lockdown, while we this is why we started doing the online conferences. And, and I got to say, the online connections that we've made have been so rewarding and, and so meaningful. Again, I was just at a conference in Brazil, conference in Kansas. And I met some people in person that we had met online and it's like, we we're best friends. And so th there's ways to build relationships that are online, but really transfer them to in-person uh, experiences. And I think that's actually to some degree, almost better. Cause if your fans have had the connection with you before they've seen you play live the first time, even, uh, they're, they're already even a higher or super fan at that point. So, so I, I always look at like, sometimes, uh, with my staff, I'll be like, what, what are we doing prior? What are we doing during the event? And what are we doing after the event? Because I really believe that it's a cycle of experience, like the lead up, the event itself. And then after the event, how do you keep that connection going? And it could be really time consuming. Um, one thing that I do on Instagram, and I know I've talked to some people, is I leave voice DMs, which I feel is more personal. I, mm. I like talking to people, and it's more personal. Um, you know, what are what are some of the ways that I know you've shared some, but you know, what do you, what are the ways that you do the follow ups after the event? Because I think that sometimes we're so focused on the event itself that we don't do the proper follow up. Like we don't like it's like we're on to the next gig, not next show, but we haven't properly maybe kept the engagement going with the fans at the last show. Yeah, to me, it's to me the, what I do like about, um, you know, when you talk about Web3 and, and some of the collectability of stuff, the tactics of like and the attributes of exclusivity, limited edition stuff. People always want stuff that no one else can get. So I again, I go back to why. Why drops XYZ leverages live shows. It's like if you came to a show, like we said before, you're a super fan. We're gonna we're gonna give them other music when, when this tour is over. They're just gonna wake up in the morning, they're gonna get a they're gonna get a DM, they're they're gonna see their drops app kind of light up, and there's gonna be, you know, maybe an EP, maybe, maybe a bunch of live stuff, you know, some covers we're doing live, we're doing a Beatles cover, um, versions of that, maybe some pictures and artwork. And it's 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 a thank you, it's a reward, it's a gift. And then, and then there'll be a different tier where it's like, hey, we, we're releasing this really exclusive hit hoodie or or whatever or vinyl, 
And because you guys are in this community, you're going to get first crack at it. And then when the next tour comes, it's like, hey, you're going to get the first tickets, the first VIP stuff, any of any of that kind of exclusive merch. It it's really simple. Like we this this stuff has been working for years. Like you said, you go back to the YouTube fan club or Pearl Jam had 10. Um, and we've moved on to digital now. And this just is helping replace that and make it super simple for artists and management companies and fun for the. Right. And, and it makes me think of the Kiss Army, too. Uh, cannot uh, cannot think uh, fan clubs without Gene Simmons' uh, input input on that. He was kind of the master of merchandising uh, and master. monetizing everything there possible. <laughs> so um, now another thing that I was sort of wondering is, what do you think about tiered levels on a on a community? So, like for instance, free type of membership versus a paid type of membership. So done a lot of study on this i i just i just firmly in my heart as an artist i know that something like a fan buying a membership it it makes me nervous because as soon as you have that transaction where they're paying like a monthly fee five bucks or nine dollars all of a sudden now as an artist i have to like i have to deliver stuff every month to fulfill that and i don't work like that you know what I mean? Like I woke up at 1130 this morning, had a coffee and got on with you. I'm on, in the middle of a tour. When I get home, I'm late in the studio. I, I, it's just, I, I'm not that kind of like structured person that has to deliver all these things. And it's not it's not wrong. It's just the artist brain. So to put yourself in that position, I know artists that do Patreon, that do these kind of subscription things, the top fan models and nothing against them. But I, it's tough. It's rough. So I think the better thing is, and way we structure drops X, Y, Z is the subscription at some point. And someone asked before I saw a question come up, it's free right now for 2023 drops X, Y, Z is free for any artist to onboard and, and, and start building these communities. We will work in a bit of a subscription or enterprise model for the artist and management that you pay like a yearly fee to use drops. But I don't think you should be taking that money from the, from the, from the fans. They'll, they'll, they'll pay you back in other ways and be able to sell stuff and they'll want to buy shit from you, but not on a monthly level where all of a sudden you're put into a box as an artist. Like I have to do these five things, you know, or these eight things every month for, for these fans. And if you don't, if something happens and you can't do it, I don't want that guilt. You know, those are the, these are friendships. These are like really special relationships with your fans. So I would have, I, I just don't want to abuse it. And I think this is a much more natural, organic way to, to have these communities. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of reminding me um, when I was working with a band from Saskatchewan that moved to Toronto, they had no fans, no one knew them. So, so their first show is at the Bovine and we put together a 600 person guest list. The Bovine holds like 200 people. And uh, often when you're talking to artists and i get it it's like well where's the money going to be from well we found with a full room the excitement and like here we're launching this act we sold more merch because a it's a full room b people didn't pay to get there it was like we're giving you tickets to see us uh we sold way more merch than if they had already paid an entry fee because yeah. then their money's divided and such. And they paid higher prices at the merch table. So the band made more money. Uh, and and uh, through the pandemic, a phrase we were saying is people add value. So where do you put your focus? 
on people and and uh, heartfelt, meaningful focus, not fake and contrived focus, which a lot of times in our industry uh, can happen. But that's the thing. If you put the focus on your fan and people and they feel really included, welcome, man, you're building relationships for life and you never know what's going to happen out of that. Um, so, so yes, I, I totally agree on, on that sort of price point type of model. Uh, but do you, and again, I'm kind of maybe pushing the point a little bit, but do you ever feel that there should be, there's that platinum level and, uh, Sometimes I, I, I'm coming from, I worked for uh, Live Nation for like eight, nine years uh, on the event marketing side, which always had the, the, the backstage, the exclusive backstage, the VIP, the platinum, the, like they had about five different tiers because they just sort of obviously want to make money in any way, shape or possible. Um, do you ever feel like having that exclusive tier uh, might make sense in the future? I, again, I, I go back to, you know, the, the, the priority for, for artists and management teams is to build those communities now. If, if all of a sudden you have 20,000, you know, fans in, in your Drops XYZ community for whatever band or, or artists, they'll tell you if, if they want, if they want something more exclusive and they're like, hey, can you guys set up an, uh, like a platinum tier where we can all pay 10 bucks a month and we get more stuff or, or more of this that you guys were given? That's Hey, that's, that's, that's their kind of, if, if that's a need that you see is there, do it. Of course. Yeah. But, I, but we're not trying to, to start there uh, again. I, I it's, this is about creating these communities, get all the people you can in and let them dictate. And that is like that slightly web three, you know, kind of thesis where it's like the, the community needs to have a stake in the community that they help build. And so let them tell you what they want. I, I, who knows where this goes? I, I think it's that that's the power of, of the technology that, that we build. And that's the power of, of building a community on it, where now you're going to get their feedback and, and they'll help, help drive it and own it and dictate it. And that's, that's a beautiful thing because there is no one in between the, the artist and the fan. Yeah. I, I, I love that type of approach. Listen to, listen to the fans, listen to the community and, uh, that they're going to ask the questions that they want answered. Um, now, with that, we do have some questions, so I want to start getting uh, getting to some of the questions from our, our audience. Um, so the first one's from Sandra. Uh, how's this different than sending them? To, okay, uh, talk about the QR code. Uh, how's this different than sending them to your landing page on your website QR code or on flyers or handouts at shows? Yeah, I mean that stuff's all easy to do. Uh, you have to get into the back end of drops and and see the depth and the technology that 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 we built there where we again we can connect to your Shopify store we can connect to all these different um, you know places that you might already have uh, and so we just you know for an artist to to build you can't just go build this in a weekend if you have some shows or a tour coming up and then you got to manage it and then tech is you know tech is tech shit breaks and i just i just feel like you you don't want to try to take that on yourself and and just getting into a landing page is one thing but fulfilling all these different things that you want to do within the app is really important and to have this kind of seamless integration um with different apps and different um platforms is is what we kind of you know that we, we've taken a long time to make sure that stuff all works really well because the fan experience has to be 
absolutely fluid and and frictionless. And so that's that's where you know the tech side of it really comes in. Anyone can build a QR code, but it's where you are taken to and what it fulfills after that is kind of like our secret sauce. Yeah, it's uh, uh, my web background, like web usability and such is a very similar thing. Like what's the first experience when you get to a website? How do you get them to another place? It's it's really difficult. Uh, so the ease of it is so important. Um, this one's from Justine. Uh, what are the current Web3 possibilities of drops? I mean, again, like they're on the philosophical side about portability and ownership, the fact that, you know, every night you have your own dashboard and you're getting, you know, the, the first party email opt-ins, you're getting the data of seeing, you know, where people are coming from and understanding and knowing your audience better, um, that, that portability philosophy is like what we built drops xyz on i think i think in in the next few years people will want you know the collectible stuff and 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 want that validation we do way behind the scenes mint most of the items on blockchain we're also talking about like cold storage which which my co-founder is big on just to make sure that if hey because Chantel and i um my wife she, she's a painter as well. So at the, the tour that we did in December, we had a water, watercolor print, limited edition, 25 only, sold it for, for $99. But it comes with a drop certificate, like a digital fingerprint that pr proves the provenance. Like it proves that this is yours. This is an original. It's signed and numbered as well, but now it has that digital authenticity backed up on the blockchain. Whether you care about that or not, it's just something we do anyway. But if if and when digital collectibles come back where people really need that kind of like next level Web3 um, transparency and validation, we've we've already had that built in. We just it's it's just not a big deal right now because I, I don't think artists are really they don't want to concern themselves with that or get into the weeds of of crypto or blockchain. So um, it's 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 there and 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 we do it. But. Um, you don't have to know about it. It's kind of like Uber. Like my mom doesn't want to know how Uber works. Just wants to know that the car is going to show up and take her to the, the supermarket, right? Yeah. And so sometimes I feel tech is sort of like the music biz where an overnight success is 10 years in making. Uh, it's very similar in the tech side of things. Uh, something that's really hot and new, wait five to 10 years and, and uh, then it'll be at, at, you'll know if it's actually being adopted or not. Um, right. And I think I think NFT were, got thrown around so much last year and blockchain the year before that. And I think it's still settling and being sorted out. Yeah, the technology of, of blockchain is it's it's working on multiple levels that aren't um, probably user friendly, like in in Homeland Security and 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 stuff like that. It's already proving how valuable it is. The NFTs are, are are silliness. It got it got hijacked by really people just trying to make money off like spinning heads and saying we built these communities. You're gonna be able to sell this for 10x, you know, three months from now. Such garbage, and it's so disappointing. But whatever. Um, to me, it starts from community, and and everything builds out from there. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how NFTs uh, survive or not in the next uh, few years. Um, so this one is from Sheldon. Uh, does the band use this app to advertise to their fans 
on shows upcoming in the city? Yes, you've answered. Uh, one challenge as a venue or a promoter is getting help from the band to market the shows. Uh, most, if not all, the onus is on the promoter. So is this something that can also build between promoter and artist, I guess, as far as uh, promoting shows? Yeah, I mean, I've told, I've told our agent, I've told managers, you know, and I even artists, it's like, as you build this community, the next time, like you're gonna see that you're gonna see the potential and the power of it in like we did last night in at the House of Blues in Cleveland, just my band. But the real power will be the next time we go launch a tour. And now we have these. Now I know where people are. I know I we we like I said we we have five or six hundred new fans from Cleveland now in our drops community. So next time we go put on a tour, we're those people are going to know a hundred percent that we're coming and have access to early tickets, all that stuff. Um, that's powerful. That's going to help a promoter feel like, Oh, wow, you guys have that. Amazing. We're not, we're not a slave to an algorithm hoping that people see it on our Insta feed or, you know, through Twitter or whatever. So, um, artists like this really helps you like legit take up, take, take back control of like your career because now you know where to go. You know who you have connects with, and, you know, I, you can send out a, a blast saying, hey, we're, we're thinking of touring in June, coming through Cleveland on the 15th. Who's in? It's kind of like MySpace back in the day. Like MySpace kind of did that for artists. Like I knew we have a bunch of fans in Houston or we have a bunch of fans in San Francisco or, or Ottawa. It's the same. It's the same premise. But now you can sell direct to them. And I, I think it's going to save promoters. Like you said, like promoters venues like this is going to help them exponentially excuse me i actually know an artist who does a lot with data in, in the uk and uh one of he'll tour say germany but only when he knows there's enough cities that have enough fans to string sure. together some dates but what he does is he'll put a question out to his audience i have three dates open that i can come to germany vote for which city that I should be at. So he knows he's got potentially six cities, but the three top voted cities is where he books. And then it's taking a, a little bit of the guesswork on whether he'll sell tickets or not. Yeah, so. something that, just, to, just to, to jump off that, Dale, like something we have been talking about to put on our roadmap is, it's kind of similar where we're kind of like with Spotify and Apple, you do pre-saves. We would do pre-saves. So you're not actually buying the ticket, but we could talk to those people in Boston or Cleveland or Chicago that were we just played. It's like, hey, pre-save, you know, June the 29th for, for a show. And you do that six months out. It's kind of like before you even announce a show, I can tell the promoter we had 800 pre-saves. So this thing's going to sell out and we know the people are coming. And again, not that I want to do the job for, for a promoter or a venue, but I want, I want to, we want to take away as much risk as artists as possible. It's expensive to tour. It takes, it takes a lot more. Like, let me tell you what we're paying, you know, per day for our tour bus on this, on this run in the U S it's, it's ridiculous. So we have to start making it more efficient and take away the risk as, as touring artists. Great point. Yeah. Especially uh, post COVID uh, a lot of the costs have gone up in, in touring and uh risk management is is a whole new new thing uh in fact we were just told we need a risk management uh for an event we're working on uh from one of our funders 
because of that. So, uh, and the other point that I wanted to make though, is often it's actually easier to take those 500 fans and turn that into 800, 1,000 fans and, and start seeing a growth. Uh, and I think when it comes to data and shows, uh, I've talked to bands about this. If you kind of like in Toronto play the same venue around the same time every year, you can start comparing year one to year two to year three and see if you're going up or down in audience as well. So I would assume that that's another sort of factor in having an app like Drops is that you can actually start seeing if I keep repeating and going back to the same place, I can actually have projection on what growth would happen at the next play, next time I go. And that might help in what venue should we be booking or securing, like what capacities and, and uh, sort of uh, controlling that risk factor as well. Cause often uh, I know artists come to Toronto and they want to play the big places and, and they can't draw and it's all of a sudden half full and, it's, it's really tough. So, so it actually really helps out in projecting where should we play next in that same city. Yeah, I think that's a great point. But I, I think it also needs to be said that it's not the artist's fault usually. Like it, 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 is, it is because of what we've, what we've built through socials that awareness, and I'm sure if you ask, you take a poll with, you know, 30 managers and artists on that, what you're just talking about. It's like we've, we, we used to be able to play such and such venue, but why can't we now? It, it's just awareness. It's really just about how are you promoting shows where you're using Instagram, you're using TikTok, you're using whatever the database the venue has, but these things are all antiquated. So again, if you know your fans, if you have connections with them, then you're not, not worried about all that stuff all of a sudden. Like you, you are 100% able to do it on your own and again i don't want to start doing the jobs for everyone but if i know that now i i'm i i have 1100 people that i have in my drops community in chicago we're good like i i can tell the promoter like it'll be fine and that's that's a that's a power artist is act they've actually never had yeah and i've seen it like i've seen it too like um that band from uh saskatchewan they knew the show was going to be sold out sold out meaning capacity crowd and they yep. did that they did that three times in a row and i watched them as an artist actually grow and have more fun at the show which allowed them to put on a better show and and the engagement of just being like people that saw them the three times like wow you're getting better like you guys are really going so so i think that that's another sort of feedback to the artist on stage is that when they know their fans are having a great time they have a great time and they put on a better show um, so I, I think it's that give and take between the fan in that live experience. Um, so rain, I gotta say, uh, I, these hours go by so fast and I, I'd like to pick your brain more, but, uh, if, any last comments, uh, as we, uh, wrap up here? Yeah. I mean, I, I go back to the, the two comments that, that really have kind of like not crafted, but just come out of me really naturally where if you, if you're an artist, or manage an artist, like shame on us, literally, if we don't get to know the fans, if we let our fans walk out of our shows anonymous, shame on us. And as an artist, I, you can't afford, like if you're not using Drops XYZ, find some someone else to do it, but you, 
got to know your audience, man. You can't afford not to connect direct to them. Um, otherwise, it, it, the middle class is going away. The middle class of, of creators will go away. I, I, I'm sad to say it, but it will. Uh, I, I'm already seeing it in a lot of cases uh, um, in, in where we're at. A lot of artists are on tour. There's less spaces to play because of availability. And it's it's going to be interesting to see that the next few uh, years. But people add value. I'm going to go back to that phrase that we've been using the last few years and, and really get to know them as people. The fans are there. And once they know that you care and you're thoughtful and there's trust and they're not getting spammed by some corporate company and it's coming directly from you and that's what Drops XYZ does, they they will come out and support you. And, and that changes everything. It is, you know, it's a cliche, but it's a game changer for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rain. Uh, good luck on the rest of the tour. Um, have, have a, have a good run. I'm sure you are. And, uh, uh, I'll talk to you again, hopefully, but, uh, have a great run. Yeah. Thanks Thank for taking time. All right, so that does it for this week. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation from uh, this year's Screen by Screen Music and Tech Conference um, with Indie Week founder Daryl Hurds and Our Lady Peace frontman Ray Maida, as you were hearing, also music tech entrepreneur with Drops and other companies. Before I let you go, I just want to send a reminder that we have our next conference coming up. That is the Indie 101 Music Conference. Of course, it's online. This one is really for those artists out there, as well as industry folks, kind of who are trying to still build their career in the music industry. But this one's all about fostering a sustainable long-term career as an artist or small company in the music industry in 2023 and beyond. Whether that means the distribution of music or the marketing of music or even the contractual and legal issues that artists and music companies need to be aware of or technology, you name it. Um, if it's relevant to how you build a career like right now in 2023 as an artist or a small music company, that's what we're talking about at Indie 101. It's happening May 1st, the 3rd online. You can go to Indie101.com. There's still a little bit of time left to save on tickets. You can save $20 right now with early bird tickets. The regular price is $79.99. So again, go to Indie 101 or Indie101.com to pick up your tickets. And lastly, before we go, just want to send another big thank you to our sponsors and funders. Um, again, they are Slate Music, CD Baby, the CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services for musicians and others out in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you back here again next Thursday. Be well.